you have just begun your love relationship with God, where someone loved you enough to put you in an environment where the gospel was given and you received it with joy and you began your relationship. Or listen, maybe you're here for the first time and you say, you know what, I need, I need I've been feeling this calling in my life uh, by God to come, to come and see. If you're fit in those two categories, I want to encourage you on a couple of things. One, no man seeks after God, the Bible says. The fact that you're even in this room, that you answered that call, is you encountering the calling from the Lord. And I, and I praise the Lord for it. And I want you to be encouraged by what I'm about to share, but I'm telling you, church, I am speaking to you, those of you who say, I claim faith, I walk with the Lord, I am a, a child of God, and I know that I am. Because this is going to be a little bit of a, it's going to be, they may be hard words to hear, but they also may be very encouraging. And I want you to know from my heart, this is coming from a place where I recognize this in my own life because I didn't understand what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. All I wanted to know was make sure I was going to heaven. As simplistic as that may be, as enticing as that may be, that's not the gospel. When I was a little child at VBS, we had this awesome VBS at an apartment complex. I had to been seven, maybe six or seven. Very early memory of mine. I remember the guy who was talking to us was real fun, real funny. And he said, at the, and he was talking about heaven and it sounded awesome. He talked about how the mangoes are going to be like this big. How does he even know that? And, I'm, and I love mangoes. I mean, it was my favorite fruit. And he said, um, it, it, how many of you guys want to go to heaven? Oh, me. I want to go to heaven. Okay. One, two, three, four. All right. 35 of you. I want you to pray with me. And then we re- repeated his words. Says, all right. Congratulations. You're all Christians. I was like, all right. I'm going to heaven. Let me tell you something. Wanting to go to heaven really badly is not the gospel. Not wanting to go to hell is not the gospel. Now, whether God reached into my heart and captivated me on a real level, that was not because of the prayer that I prayed. Not because of that preacher. If God calls you unto himself, that is an encounter with the living God. It has nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with the message you received. It's all to do with God. I surrender over to you. What is a disciple? What process, what pathway, what journey did Jesus take these disciples to develop them into the men of God that they became? It was a difficult message to put together because there's no formula for this. But I can say there was at least four commitments that they made by four very distinct invitations made by Christ. Each one creating in them the man of God that God called them to be. Able to withstand all the wiles of the enemy that would come against the intention that God had for their life. They weren't just satisfied I at least am going to heaven. Why does your, your life exist beyond your point of salvation? Listen, if heaven was the goal, 
that all you had, then, then death would come as soon as salvation entered into your heart. Why do you exist beyond your point of salvation? Why does a church exist? What is the responsibility of the pastors? What are we supposed to be doing outside of this room? I'm going to share with you something that's very personal to me. It's one of my biggest failures in my life as a Christian. One that sticks out in my mind even to this day. It was when a very clear opportunity to bring the gospel to somebody I really respected. When I was in my 20s, I was teaching science in an elementary school. And uh, my science lab was right next to the PE room, the, the pavilion outside. The, P, the PE coach used to be my eighth grade football coach, Coach Mosqueda. Awesome, dude. We became friends. It was, uh, it was, an, it was a, a, a fun interaction I got to have with him. He used to be my coach, but now we're, we're buds. And, but I had a high respect for him. This school had an, an event where it was just this little festival, and the festival, uh, we were in charge of the dunking booth. Everybody wanted to dunk uh, Mr. Zeke and Coach Mosquera. And uh, we had a 10-minute break. We went to go get a hot dog. We were having a conversation, and I don't know how, but in the way God does, he steered the conversation to godly things. Coach Mosquera was not a believer. But in that conversation, he asked me the most beautiful question an unbeliever could ask a child of God. He said, you know, Zeke, I've done the church thing. But I still don't know what I'm supposed to do. How can I really know if I belong to God? That's the question we all want. That's the question we hope for in the relationships that we care about. What's the most beautiful things to witness God encountering someone to ask such a question? A question which you have the answer to. I wasn't ready. I don't know what I said. I do remember freezing and I babbled on about something that our pastor was covering on Wednesday nights through the book of Revelation. And he was saying, you know, that, that, that Zeke, that confuses me. I, I just want to know, like, wh- how do I really know? And then some kids came up, and they were ready to start dunking the booth. Our conversation was interrupted. I wasn't ready for his question. Someone shared with me the gospel. I was 10 years old when I first really received the, the truth of the gospel in, the, in, in a very real way. I was in church for many years. I'd heard the gospel over and over and over again. And then a moment of truth for a person that I highly respected. I just, I wasn't ready. I reasoned within myself that I was okay because at the end of the event, I said, hey, I'm sorry we got interrupted in that conversation. Hey, you should just come to church. You go to my, go to my church. My church is on, uh, on, on Haywood Street, blah, blah, blah. You should go there. Our services are at this time, at this time. You should go. He said, Zig, I already told you I did that church thing. I'm, it's not for me. He declined. I remember some part of me was saying, okay, well, I did my job. I invited him to church. He said, no. You know, it's on him. 
even just saying that right now, my heart is sinking into my stomach. Is that what we're supposed to be doing in the world? Just telling people where to go? Telling people to go to church? Go where the gospel is given. Go where truth can be received. Go to the place that I got it. God be with you. Is that what Jesus told his disciples to do? Go out into all the world and invite them to church? No, understand this. You are the church. You are the temple of God. They don't have to come to a place to experience the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is in you. And by you, I'm speaking of the one who said, yeah, I claim faith. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I know I belong to God. I'm a child of God because I belong to him. I know that sin has separated me from God. And there is no man that is without sin except for Christ. Because of my sin has separated from me from God, I don't want to be separated from him anymore. I know that God sent his son who knew no sin to become sin on my behalf. And he paid the cost of what I earned by my own sin. And he died for me. But God raised him from the dead so that I could not only be forgiven, but have a restored relationship with him by faith in his son. That's the gospel. I don't know how long it took me for just, just now just to say that. That was less than 10 minutes, I'll tell you that. You are the one that bears this truth. You have the temple of, you, God says, I make you the temple. In his word, he says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You, wherever you go, you bring the kingdom of God with you. They don't have to go to a place. I wasn't ready. Because I wasn't serious about what it means to be a disciple. I just wanted to go to heaven. That's not what a disciple is. Sure, I could have blamed my pastors, my leaders, my church for not preparing me to be ready. But if I'm honest with you, I wasn't ready because I wasn't fully committed. I was not fully committed to actually follow Jesus with my life. I mean, I was committed to go to heaven. I was committed to being around loving people who accepted me, who made me feel important and loved, who was there for me in in times of need. Oh, I was committed to that. I was committed to learning. I love learning. I was, I was committed to those moments of those aha moments where the pastor would say something. Oh, I never thought about that before. Ah, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Ah, oh, that can make my life a whole lot more smoother if I live by that. I was interested in that. I was committed to hearing that. I wasn't fully committed to actually following Jesus as the disciples followed Christ. I don't know where Coach Muscala is. But know this, even though we fail, we do not, our failures do not thwart the will of God. I have that confidence, but that is not an excuse. God could use anyone, but he decided to use you. In that moment, God could use anyone, he decided to use me. 
That's how God is. That's how the Lord is. He could have built the ark all by himself, but he decided to use Noah. He could have rescued all of his people out of Egypt all by himself, but he decided to use Moses. He could open up the heavens right now and in a loud, booming voice proclaim the details of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, the only means by which a soul, which will live eternally, can be redeemed by God. But he decided to use you. I want to use. God's saying, I'm going to use you to carry the most precious message of truth to the people that I have strategically placed around you. Pastor Terry started this series walking us through each of the starting 12 disciples, then through Matthias, and he'll close with the, the Apostle Paul. What I hope you gathered from that was the necessity for them, in order for them to be what God called them to be, it required complete and total trust in him. The disciples followed him because they trusted him. They were committed to where he was going. This morning, I want to build on that by showing you how Jesus molded these disciples to trust him. And ask us, have we gone through this journey? Jesus took these ordinary men through a journey that refined them into trustworthy carriers of the gospel. Have we gone through this journey? Are you a trustworthy vessel of the gospel? Or are we just trying to get to heaven? It is the same journey that is required of us. And if we expect to be made into disciples, we have to consider. Four progressing and ongoing commitments that we see in these disciples. Each one further refined their trust and dependence on Jesus. Think of it as four invitations. Four invitations that required an affirming commitment from these disciples. Four invitations by Jesus. Come and see. I'm going to do, I want you to see something. I'm going to do something. I want you to watch. Come follow me. Now that you've seen, I want you to do this with me. Let's do this together. Then go. I want you to go. But know that I'm going to be going with you. I will be with you always. You do it. I'm going to watch. And finally remain in me. As you do it, keep going. Take others with you. Make disciples of all nations, he says. These invitations mark four ongoing progressions in how Jesus de developed his disciples. And it wasn't just training. There was a beautiful relationship that came out of this. We're going to go through several passages of Scripture here, but we're going to, I'm going to reference large chunks of God's Word that we won't have time to read all the way through. So I would encourage you to go back and look at these things for yourselves. Be as the Bereans. We, let us go and search the scriptures for ourselves to see if these things be true. Let's take a little closer look at each one of these invitations. From John 135 to 446, the disciples made a very light commitment. 
Jesus said, come and see. This is right after John the Baptist announced, behold, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who will take away the sins of the world, referencing Jesus. Right after that, this is all that they know about Jesus at this point. They receive a very small invitation from him in John 1.39. He said to them, come, come and see. I want to show you something. I'm going to show you where I, where I live. I'm going to show you where I'm coming from. Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. They were just going to watch and look at the, the place that he was staying at. He said, I want you to come watch my life. He was inviting them into his life. Come and see what God is doing. Interestingly, Philip uses these same words later on. When he is a fully developed disciple, when he is uh, understanding this first step, he says the same words, come and see. Come and see this, this guy named Jesus, he tells Nathaniel. Probably similar words spoken to you when someone first invited you to an environment of life change. But here's the thing, they didn't tell you to go somewhere. But what probably they did was come with me. Come and see. And here's what they saw. Just here's what they saw just in the next few days that they spent in this time with Jesus. They saw uh, they, they saw Jesus. They recognized that he has the knowledge of God. In John uh, 147 through 50, in John two, in chapter two from one verse 11, they clearly saw his empowerment by God. This guy has power. He's not just claiming something. There is transformation in his life. There is something about him that's different than all the other people who are claiming to have the truth. In John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, they, they clearly saw that he demonstrates the authority of God. He goes into, into the church, into the synagogue, flips those tables, set things right and spoke truth with authority, yet compassion was so in his voice that people were like, yeah, you're. they didn't come against him. They're like, yeah, you're right. Their trust in Jesus was increased because of what they saw. He didn't ask them to do anything yet. I just want you to come see what God is doing. You spent time with them, showing them the reality of God in his life. With the things that he was doing. He wasn't taking them to see godly men. He was the godly man. He brought God to them and to, uh, and to everyone they encountered. He brought God to the people. In Matthew 5, 16, it says, Let your light shine before men. Why? So that they may see your good works, and glorify who? You? Oh, look how holy that man is. Look how holy she is. No, we don't take vows for God. Why? Why, why let them see your deeds then? Why let them see the work of the Lord in your life? That they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Who's they? It's the world. The people they encounter, your neighbor, your family, your coworker, your people at your school. We don't just show each other God while we're in this room. This is about building real connections with people. 
and using those connections to show them the Lord. This is the natural way the kingdom of God grows. When God, when, when Jesus passed by someone, he simply invited them into his life. Come and see. When he passed by the disciples, he just said, come and see. Come and see what the Lord is doing. Jesus wanted the disciples to know God. So he began with himself. Once Christ becomes alive in you, you are his ambassador. Your life serves as a, as a guiding light to those God is, called to, is calling to himself. The way you do that is the same way Jesus did. He invited the people God put, in, uh, put before him to come and see. And what should they see? They should see the reality of God in your life. They should see the God in how you talk. The way you express yourself should reflect the character and nature of God. The words that you use. Oh, well, God wouldn't say that word. Then why are you using that word? They should see how you react to people who are of the world. They do not have God in their life, and therefore they're going to act as the world. They're going to behave in a manner that is carnal. They're going to behave in a way that's broken. That brokenness is going to hurt. How are you going to react to it? There are people that, that, who are broken in your life who you should trust, and they have violated that trust in some way. How is your perspective on such a person? When God encountered those who were majorly broken in their life, he didn't shun them, but had compassion on them. If you only knew. Does that mean you need to be walked all over? Was Jesus walked all over? I'm not talking about surface level understanding here. I'm talking about, God, am I reflecting you as I encounter the people around me? Are they seeing you when they see me? Are they hearing you when they hear me? This is what Jesus is doing. And listen, when, they, when I say they should see the reality of God in your life, this, this doesn't have to be some formal presentation or some spectacular experience. You know, just ordinary local avenues of everyday life. Sitting down, having a hot dog with somebody. Steering the conversation to the things of God, to eternal matters. That was the content of Jesus' speech with his disciples. And there's two things that are happening here at the same time. God, Christ is modeling what he wants them to do, but is also taking them along on this journey themselves. There's two things happening here. This is the journey you must go through to be my disciple. But this is the journey that I want you to take others through to become my disciple. This is a really fascinating, ingenious thing that Jesus is doing here. In everyday conversation, do they see Christ? In the mundane acts of your life, do they see Jesus? You know, one of the things that encourages my heart so much is uh, we have regular working hours here during the week. 
And uh, Stephen, uh, if you guys don't know Stephen, he's a guy with a really long beard. Uh, Stephen is uh, our building and grounds guy. And uh, he, he's just a living encouragement to me. Uh, when somebody comes, we get salesmen coming into these doors all the time. And whenever a salesman comes in, they're going to come in and make their pitch, but they're going to walk out with Jesus. Okay, this, this is, uh, I took a picture of this once. It was a, a copier guy who came in. Uh, the, this is hi, uh, him talking to Stephen. Okay, and, and, and Stephen heard his pitch. He's like, hey, so we, hey, I appreciate you sharing that with me. We got, we already got a guy that's, uh, we just hired a new person. You know, but let me ask you. I, I don't know what the content of his conversation was. I just passed by and him saying, no, but Jesus was, as I'm walking by, I'm like, you know what he's doing? He's lifting up the name of Christ to a salesman. He heard his, he heard his pitch, but he's like, you're walking out with Christ. And I'm just, I just went, that's how we need to be living. But that is the disciple of Christ. Everywhere his, he goes, the content of his speech saturated in Christ. Now, did they get, you know, did, was there transformation there? I don't know. But I can tell you that the content of that speech was glorifying to the Lord. It was pointing that eternal soul to the Lord. When ordinary people act in faith, God acts in extraordinary ways in them and through them, and that includes you. How do we get there? First, come and see. The ones that I'm talking to, you've already done that. If you haven't passed that, here's what was next. Come follow me. Oh, I follow Jesus. Well, hold on. Let's see if we really do. Jesus tells his disciples to go home and think about what they have seen. And they do. Two months go by before Jesus issues the next invitation. And when he returns, what they're doing is they're fishing. Why wait? Because here is where the next commitment gets real. This will require completed trust in Jesus. Understand, if all the disciples only marveled at the things Jesus did and the things that he said, they would not have become fully developed disciples of Christ. Many saw and heard and experienced the same things, the same invitation from Jesus, but some chose not to. How come some chose not to? Luke 9, 57 through 62 lays out at least three very common reasons that people are willing to come see, but not willing to come follow. We see three men who understood who Jesus was, but they, they all had reasons that they couldn't actually follow him with their life. Jesus knew what was in their heart, and he, and he called these things out as he was talking to them. One required assurance of lodging and meals. What is that? I'll, I'll follow you, but what are we going to eat? No, I'll follow you, but where are we going to sleep? No, I'll follow you, but how uncomfortable is this going to be? I mean, I'll follow you, but this sounds a little inconvenient. I mean, I'll, I'll follow you, but here's what I need. I need powerful messages that are going to rock my soul. I need a Six Flags Over Jesus experience uh, so I can you know, have a lot of fun while, while I'm here learning about God. If I'm not having fun, I'm going to go find a place that is fun. And that's where I'm going to learn about God. 
But I'm going to follow you. I'll stick, I'll, I'll commit as long as I get these things. Jesus said, I don't even have a place to rest my head. One required better timing. I mean, he had a good excuse. I mean, he had a good reason. He had to attend to personal affairs and go bury his father. The timing wasn't right. He required, it was too inconvenient. That's going to take too long. I don't have enough time. Well, in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to cut this out. I don't want to cut this out. Or I can't cut this out. I'm willing to commit, but ask me again later. Timing is just not right. I have to handle my own personal affairs. One seemed genuine, like he genuinely wanted to follow. He believed, he understood there was a commitment involved here. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm coming. I'm going to go with you. But let me go say goodbye to my family first. Now, I don't know where he had to go to do that. But Jesus' reply was, if you have to turn back, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Wow, that's some hard words. Understand, Jesus wasn't making assumptions here. You and I could use similar words based on assumption if that's the all information that we had. Let me go, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. They're like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, how long is it going to take? I mean, I, I, we would have to make assumptions as to, back, as to where he's going back, what he's going back to. Jesus didn't have, have to make assumptions. He knew very well what he was going back to. Just other relationships mattered more. And guys, I see this all the time, especially in the lives of young people, where they, they get all googly over some person who is not walking on the path that they're on. When God says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, what was he saying? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why? Because you, you cannot walk, they're not going to walk the same path that you're walking. Oh, but I love him. No, you don't. If you know not God, you know not love. How can he love you? Oh, but she's so pretty. Okay, we're going to stop that conversation there. But they'll value relationships more than this relationship here. Well, she doesn't go to church. Well, he doesn't like God things. On the surface, none of these things that they said were sinful desires, but they ultimately were excuses for not participating with what God was doing. Happens all the time. Listen, you can't make the case for feeling left out if you choose to opt out of an, of an opportunity God has given you. So he says, come follow me. When he said that, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They immediately dropped their nets and followed him. Matthew 4, 19 says the same thing. Jesus said to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately dropped their nets to follow him. What has it cost you to follow him or to continue following him? Come and see was low-lying fruit compared to come follow me. This required total denial of self and complete trust in Jesus. So they went with him. Now, what did Jesus do with him? 
he took them to do the work of the Lord with him, not for him. This was genius. Because saying, join me, and we'll work together and do life together, sounds a whole lot more personal than, hey, go to that church over there. They got truth. Hey, come be a part of this program. Go, go, do, go do this program thing. And it'll straighten you out. <laughs> Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I Look, you can't train someone spiritually by just holding a class and making them fill in the blanks. Jesus provided live, on-the-job training for them. Do as I do. Go as I go. Come follow me. The words, come follow me, honors a relationship you built. It offers closeness and fellowship and friendship. That's exactly what Jesus did when he, just, when he invited his disciples to follow him. They did life together. They became a faith family. And this refined their trust in him. What are we doing outside of this room for one another? With one another. For one another. Are we only in here just to get fed? Deciding to follow Jesus was personal. That's why Jesus designed discipleship to be one person helping another person follow Jesus together. Who have you taken with you on this journey? I'm asking you seriously, who have you taken with you on this journey? Who has God strategically placed in your life? What reasons do you have for you, for your children, to not be in environments of life change? What has been an obstruction between you and following the Lord? Actually following God actually taking a risk and saying, you know what? I'm going to come to your house Sunday morning. I'm going to pick you up. We're going to go together. I want you to come see. Now that you're here, man, I'm so glad you're here. This is what we do. Here, come with me. We're going to go to the connect group. I want you to meet some other guys, some other girls, some other ladies. I want you to come with me. We got to go, but understand, you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just in Matthew 10 and Luke 10, Matthew 10, 1 through 44, uh, 42, and Luke 10, 1 through 24, read this. When Jesus sends them out, he doesn't just say, all right, swim. He doesn't just throw them in the pool and, just say, and command that they swim. Okay, he, he helped them out. He empowered them, gave them, he gave them tools, he gave them very clear instructions on what to do. He told them what to expect as they're going to go out. And he gave them a, a partner. He said he sent them out in pairs. And then at the very end of this, he followed up with them. He gave them review in a time of reflection of what they just experienced. For example, they, when, they, when they got too excited that the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name, you know, he realigned their thinking. He said, behold, I've, he explained the reason, he explained the, what they just experienced. Look, he said, I've given you authority to trample over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in that. 
Rejoice in the fact that the, that the, that the spirits are subject to you. Rather rejoice that your names are written in, in heaven. He, he, he straightened them out a little bit. Gave them some constructive direction. Who have you taken on this process? Let me ask you this. Who took you on this process? I bet you have a very special relationship with that person, yeah? Pastor Dwayne Spearman. Reyes Castillo. George Short. Ty Gullick. Names that mean nothing to you. But they are my spiritual Mount Rushmore. They are the people who were disciples of Christ. Who took me with them to do what they were doing to make me into a disciple. 